So imagine your nerves as an electrical cable conducting signals from your brain to the rest of your body. They ha it has a coating around the nerve, around the electric cable. That coating is eaten away by the immune system when you have MS. Hello everyone and happy Assyrian New Year! It's Rhoda and I am so excited to be back with episode 57 of the Assyrian Podcast. You know how Assyrians generally joke about the minute you say who your grandfather is or what village your dad is from, suddenly everyone knows who you are and you're all connected? Well, I may not know too much about the villages and the homeland, but I know that you're bound to be Facebook friends with someone who knows someone else and boom, now you're connected. That's exactly how I found out about today's guest, Mark Alicia. So Mark's aunt, his mom's sisters, and his cousins live in California. I used to live in California and knew them from church, and I happened to be Facebook friends with one of his aunts, Maureen. One day, right before I left for a trip to Australia back in February, I saw a video that she had shared on Facebook about a young guy from Sydney and his battle with multiple sclerosis. I watched this video about the peer support group that Mark is involved with, and I knew I wanted to meet him and talk to him. We'll link the video I'm talking about in the show notes, and you should check it out if you get a chance. Before meeting Mark, I knew of one fictional character with MS, that being President Josiah Bartlett from the West Wing, and two people in real life, all three of whom have inspired me in one way or another because I know their battle isn't easy, but they get up every day and try as hard as possible to live a full life, even when they sometimes suffer in silence because their struggles and their disease is not always visible. In this week's episode, Mark talks about his battle with MS and also his family and what being a part of the peer support group has meant to him. He's also raising money for an MS walk in Sydney, which takes place on Sunday, April 7th. If you listen to this episode and are moved to donate to this cause, we'll have the link in the show notes. I am every week inspired by the different Assyrians we feature on the Assyrian podcast, and Mark's resilience and fighting spirit is no exception. Mark is a true warrior who exemplifies what it looks like to live your best life in the midst of unique and challenging circumstances. And I'm so glad he agreed to share his story with us. But before we get into this week's interview, support for this podcast comes from Tony Caligarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone who has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligarakos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. And now, here's Mark Alicia. So according to your Facebook profile, you're from Dubai. Yeah, yeah. I was born and raised there. My, my parents moved out to Dubai back when it was first getting started, back in the late 80s. So we lived there for quite a few years. Uh, How did they decide to go to Dubai? So my dad initially, both my parents were born and raised in Iraq. Okay. Uh, and like a lot of Assyrians, uh, ended up leaving uh, Iraq um, in the very early 80s. So my dad went to Kuwait. Uh, that was his first stop after he left. So the company that he worked for in Kuwait ended up opening an office in Dubai and eventually they had actually moved to Sydney 
they they were living in Sydney and then they decided to go back to Dubai. So that's sort of how we ended up there. Okay. Yeah. Up until last summer, I'd say, I had no idea there were Assyrians in Dubai. One of my friends from Chicago told me she was going to Dubai to visit her cousins. So I realized there were Assyrians who lived there. Was there an Assyrian community there yeah, when you grew yeah. up? Yeah, there definitely was. Um, there was a bigger community uh, maybe a few years ago. Uh, we've, um, for whatever reason, the numbers have slowly declined mm. over the last maybe even handful of years. But uh, growing up, there was always a few families around. And we really got to quite a big number in the probably early 2000s, mid-2000s, mid-aughts. Okay. Yeah, we were probably around 100 people, if not more, um, from all over. Okay. Yeah, and people have ended up immigrating mm. to Canada and the States and, you know, the, the usual sort of story, sure. I guess. Um, how did your family end up, ended, end up moving back to Australia for good? Okay, so moving to Australia was um, mainly, uh, mainly pushed on by my, my health my, my situation sort of changed mm-hmm. um, in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, had, I've had MS since 2013, and my sort of uh, disability st- started to increase in 2015. And just managing the illness, uh, living abroad in, in Dubai was becoming difficult. Mm. Um, we're actually Australian citizens, so it made more sense to be here and have access to the healthcare system here. Sure. Pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much how, how it works, uh, how it worked for us. Okay. Um, but we have a lot of family in Australia, so okay. that's made it easier to, yeah. to pick here to move for sure. Um, what did you study in Dubai? I assume you went to school there. Yeah. What did you study? Yeah, we studied in Dubai. Yeah, we had, we had, <laughs> we had school just like everywhere else. Um, uh, we, I, I actually, I graduated, I finished high school there. I, okay. And then I moved to Canada to, to study chemical engineering. Okay. I lived in Montreal for five years. Um, uh, went to McGill and then uh, moved back to Dubai to work in the chemical industry. Yeah. So um, yeah, Dubai. Like we, I was lucky. I had a really good education system over there that I got to get it, take advantage of. And people from my school ended up going all over the world to to study. Nice. So we had a bunch of people in Canada, the states, uh, Australia, and yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was a nice place to be. So schooling in Dubai and Montreal explains the lack of an Australian accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. I think um, th- there's that bit. And also I've got a lot of family in the States. So uh-huh. we used to spend our summers there uh, in, in California where we, my mom's family live in Redwood City. Right. So uh, uh, apparently you know them. I uh, do, which is very close to San Francisco, which is how I know them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we used to spend at least uh, two, two months a year almost there. Uh, so if you talk to them, uh, my cousins in California, they sound a lot like me, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I watched, um, a video, um, of yours on Facebook and I thought, okay, I gotta know more about him living in Australia, but not really having an accent. Like I told you though, I think your dad has an accent. Yeah. My, my, my dad, <laughs> my dad almost has a switch that he can flip to, <laughs> to put on a bit more of an Australian accent. We used to be more pronounced back uh, when we used to visit. Now that we've lived here for a while, I think he's... He's, he's, he's found a middle ground yeah. where yeah, he's comfortable with. Yeah. Um, what are the major differences you noticed between living in Dubai and living in Australia? Oh, well, it's a completely different lifestyle. Dubai is um, very flashy. Everyone, mm. everyone is flashy. <laughs> sure. The city's flashy. Um, we are probably a little more materialistic, a little more indoors, uh, indoors sort of 
centric uh-huh. over here everyone wants to be outside all the time um there's that uh, sort of vibe you're always at the beach you're always outdoors basically in dubai you've got a lot of impermanence people are there temporarily mm-hmm. for the most part you don't really interact with a lot of citizens who from uh, from dubai huh. so it's kind of an interesting vibe you, you meet a lot of people for a couple of years they're in and out of your life in australia i get the feeling that you're here you know you're here for the long haul i guess yeah. Um, but yeah, those are probably the biggest things I'd say. Dubai is one of the most multicultural spots in the entire world. You've mm-hmm. got people from literally everywhere. Um, Australia is also very much uh, a multicultural place, but even but not on the same level as Dubai, I'd say. Yeah. In Dubai, you might go out and hear you know, five different languages on a night out. Here, you're only ever going to hear English, probably. Have your parents been back to Iraq since they first left? Yeah, no, they haven't. That's... That's a tough one, I think, for them. I don't know how they, yeah. they, they deal with it on a day-to-day. But, yeah, my, my parents left Iraq. And my dad te- I, tells the story of how he left as if he was going on a summer holiday or, or a semester break, sort of, when he was in university. One suitcase in his hand and never came back to Iraq. That was it. Uh, he left and uh, started his life. That was that. Uh, he was a grown grown man at that point, basically. And yeah. I, I can't even imagine it. I, I came back home, I think, at that age. Well, at that age, my dad was leaving right. the house. My mom, likewise, she left Iraq and her and her sister went to California. They were early 20s, but you know, then just moving from Baghdad to San Francisco. Yeah. Um, I can't even imagine it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so they haven't been back though. My dad, I think his he's he he would always he's he's always said that he doesn't want to see Iraq in the current um situation that it is. Doesn't doesn't do any doesn't appeal to him to mm-hmm. see it the way it is now. He'd rather I guess keep that memory of, of yeah. when they were there. When you were talking about your dad leaving, the thing that I thought of is that people who immigrate who leave their, you know, home countries there, most of them get a chance to kind of say goodbye and do yeah. these like the last time I'm gonna do this I'm gonna say say goodbye and go through that process and he didn't have any of that and he just up it, and left exactly exactly we 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 went through that in Dubai actually when mm. we left I, I I left my job there in March and we didn't leave until October of 2015 so there was quite a, quite a few going away parties yeah. and last time of this last time of that. Somehow I knew, I, I felt that my situation was changing, my, my physical situation mm-hmm. was changing, and that coming back to Dubai might not uh, happen very mm-hmm. um, soon, I guess. Sure. So, but now you're, yeah, it's, it's a crazy, crazy way to, 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 to have to, crazy thing to have to go through. I think from my, my parents' perspective, I can still go back to Dubai, like, and then, you know, but yeah. for them, I don't know if they'll ever go back to Iraq. Yeah. Uh, I really don't. No. Um, and you have a sister. Is she older or younger? No, I've got a younger sister. Okay. Yeah, Amanda. Uh, she's uh, she's great. She's got a government job. They're working on making uh, Sydney more livable. But yeah, it's uh, it's a re- really cool, cool. Livable in what sense? So in in Sydney, if you live out in the west, you you tend to commute. We live in I live in the west mm-hmm. uh, western part of Sydney. That's where a lot of Assyrians actually sure. tend to live. Uh, a lot of the jobs tend to be on the more easterly like in these in the in the city right um so you tend to have to drive a lot to to work and to play as well mm-hmm. so their plan or their goal is to make 
the rest of the greater Sydney area, I guess, um, more accessible for people to work in, to play mm-hmm. in, to live in, without having to commute those long hours, okay. I guess. Probably cool. doing a terrible job of explaining <laughs> it, but that's what it is. That's how I, that's what I think she's, she does every day. Right? Okay. So you were diagnosed with MS when you were 24, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Can you explain what MS is, first of all? All right. Well, MS is, uh, broadly speaking, it's an, it's an autoimmune disease. So it's an autoimmune disease that impacts your nervous, your central nervous system. So what happens is your um, white blood cells your, in your, that make up your um, immune system attack your nerves, literally the coating of the nerves. So imagine your nerves as an electrical cable conducting signals from your brain to the rest of your body. They ha- it has a coating around the nerve, around the electric cable. That coating is eaten away by the immune system and when you have MS. So there isn't really a warning s- system with MS. You don't sort of slowly just... Your, your MS just kind of switches on. It goes from off mm. to on all of a sudden. So I just woke up one day and had sort of tingling in my fingers and... I was in the gym, I suddenly couldn't do lunges, like my leg was, wasn't responding to what I wanted to, mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, it just sort of showed up out of nowhere, completely out of nowhere. And so, like everything was fine and then you have this experience at the gym. That was the first time Pretty much. you ever experienced yeah, it. Yeah, the, the first time was, uh, well, I was on, there was two sort of, that first week, um, I had a phone call with someone and all of a sudden I hung up the phone and my finger started to tingle. Just out of nowhere. And then uh, a couple of days later, I'm in the gym and yeah, that lunges, suddenly I couldn't do lunges. And then by the end of like the first or second week, I had a, a laundry list of symptoms all of a sudden wow. of things that just showed up out of nowhere. Then I started the sort of process of trying to figure out what was going on. That that was a whole another task, you know, for like six months, basically. Wow. Of uh, Yeah, I, I saw specialists all over the world. Actually, yeah, to go to go with the, the sort of Dubai and lifestyle that sort of, yeah, we ended up seeing doctors in, in Dubai and in California and in Beirut trying to figure out what was going on because we couldn't like get a pinpoint, uh, get a definite sort of diagnosis at first. So when when that you had that experience at the gym, that was like a one time thing. How long did it take for you to like go back to having feeling in your so- and then? it happening again yeah yeah so for me i've never i didn't lose complete feeling and i was still able to use the body parts that were affected and let's say the symptoms when you have a relapse uh, Mm -hmm. so that's when you you typically your symptoms all spike up your symptoms go up to a 10 out of 10 on us you know Mm -hmm. and then over time they'll decrease to like a two or three or four or five depending on on your your typical your type of MS. So let's say mine started at a ten, and then they went back down to about a two or a three. They've never mm. gone away completely since that day for me. Anyway, the only symptom over time that's decreased uh, that sort of showed up and went away was blurred vision. I had blur- double vision for like a couple three weeks in like six months after my first bout of MS. What was going through your mind when you were in those six months when you were trying to get a diagnosis it's funny i always thought as soon as i heard the possibility that i had ms for some reason i was like okay i have ms Uh, i had Mm -hmm. kind of accepted it pretty early on 
and I was I was frustrated that I wasn't getting treated. I mm. really wanted to get down to it. Mainly, I guess, because I was um, I just wanted to be proactive. I was worried. I didn't know enough about the the illness. Even, I mean, at the time, I just didn't know enough. I didn't realize just how serious it could be. But I figured it would be better to start treating than not to treat. Mm. So those first six months were stressful for sure. For from that perspective, and there wasn't. I didn't have that support system in place that I have now, where I can reach out to other people with MS. There's a huge online community nowadays of people with the disease, and uh, you can get a lot of information from them. And that's really the best source, from my experience, to understand just how serious the disease can be. Because you can get like a different picture when you maybe see an ad for a a drug company. see people living very comfortably with MS, um, when in actual fact it's it's quite a difficult disease to, to manage and to live with. How long did it take for you to go from how you were before and then to like using a cane and then now you use a wheelchair? It only took about a year and a half for my walking to to change quite substantially. Yeah, by 2015, I, um, I had slowed down, let's say. Mm-hmm. I went from being able to run to being able to walk. I used to measure myself on the treadmill. So I used to be able to run at a 9, mm-hmm. 10 you know, speed on sure. the treadmill. And I went down to a five sort of in the course of a week. Mm-hmm. And then by 2016, I could only walk for about 10, 15 minutes. And then by 2017, that's so now we're talking four years from my first uh, symptoms, I started using a cane. And then it, it happened quite quickly after that. Within a couple months, I was using a walker and, and a wheelchair almost at the same time, basically. Mm-hmm. I tried to imagine what this must have been like for you and I couldn't possibly. Um, One of the things that struck me as a difficult part of the process aside from just your life changing in the you know in the physical way and your mobility and all that. One of the the hard things I imagined was you having to tell people that you were diagnosed with MS because I kept thinking all these emotions that you've had like every time you tell the story um, they they start all over again. Absolutely. And then you may find yourself in a place where you're comforting the other person because you're like, I've accepted it. I've had time to yeah. process it. Is that an accurate description of like things you went through? Yeah, absolutely. When I first had a God MS, I was far more guarded, far more private with mm-hmm. uh, with my condition. If because I didn't enjoy having the conversation. It's a long conversation. For one, it's it's sure. not easy like to explain to people. I consider myself fairly clued in, I guess, and I even knew of a fictional character with with the disease, and I still had no idea what what the disease was about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so trying to sit and explain to people, and at the same time, my symptoms were mainly not visible to others at the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy having the conversation, and I just decided not to for the most part. Because one, the emotional toll w- wasn't wasn't pleasant. I mean, it's uh, it's unpleasant. There's so much unpleasantness with MS. Mm-hmm. Talking about it, it doesn't help sometimes. And uh, it was just easier than not having to explain it to people for sure. You you also talked in one of your videos about the kind of loneliness someone with MS oh, yeah. experiences, and I feel like it goes along with what you were just saying because 
you don't have any visible signs. No mm. one knows what you're going through. 100%. Um, can you talk more about what that was like? Yeah, I mean, I actually just came from an event on Valentine's Day where the people that I that produced that video did a sort of a thank you for, for people who are involved mm. with the organization. And there's a couple speakers, MS ambassadors, who, you know, shared their experiences. And you wouldn't know from looking at them that they have MS. But as soon as they started talking and digging into it, like the emotions come right to the surface of, mm. you know, just how, how impactful it is. It affects your family so much as well, um, depending on your situation. I mean, we've got a very high divorce rate with people with MS because mm. uh, you end up relying a lot on your partner, whoever, you know, for, mm-hmm. for support. But yeah, the, the loneliness is a big, big part of it. You're, you're out on a, on a night out, let's say, and you're worrying about things like a lot of people with MS have a weak bladder. Where's the nearest bathroom? How am I going to get to the bathroom? Um, for me, even shaking hands became a sort of... I had a sort of mental block around it because my hands were affected. So, like, just sh- shaking people's hands was was an issue for me. Um, more of a self-conscious one, sure. you know? Probably wasn't that people wouldn't know. But for me to actually find someone's okay. hand, you know, make sure to make that connection cor- correctly, in, sure. in quotations, uh, was difficult. And no one would know, you know, no, there's no way you would know unless I told you I had MS. Uh, I remember this one time early on, I was getting treated for Lyme disease because Lyme disease actually shares a lot of the symptoms of MS. Um, So that they took a blood test and they found uh, Lyme antibodies or whatever they did. Anyway, that that uh, treatment is a month's worth of antibiotics that you get intravenously. So... You go in and they leave a leave a cannula in your arm to go home with. So I was going to work with this cannula and like covering it up with long sleeves. And I remember one of my customers like sort of saw it underneath my shirt and he's like, "What's going on? What, you know? Are you?" And um, I wasn't prepared to talk to him about it. But then there you go. There sort of opened up a can of worms, or I had to tell him then, which was fine. I mean, everyone is not everyone, but most people are very comforting and understanding and want to know more and. But it's just not a conversation you want to have every day. Sure. Yeah. Um, you talked about having a support system and your family. Um, the other thing that struck me and the other thing I think is true about not just MS, but other things that we go through is we never experience things alone. That our family, albeit in a different way, has some of those experiences and it impacts their life. How would you say your family was impacted? Well, the family, first off, we, they, they've all moved with me. I mm. mean, we, we went from, from living, uh, you know, in, in the Middle East, in Dubai. Now we've all moved here. Uh, my parents chose to retire as well. Like, they were working full-time up until we moved. So th- there's that obvious one. And then there's the emotional impact. I mean, your parents start to think, you know, what could we have done differently is... Is it somehow our fault that this happened? Of course it isn't. It just mm-hmm. sort of shows up out of nowhere. But I, I mean, I would say that we've gotten a lot closer because of MS. We've already always been a tight-knit group, but uh, we've gone somehow even even closer. I really rely on them all day, every day, basically, at this point. Uh, so we've gotten a lot closer because of MS. The, the other thing that I was thinking about was that whenever you're diagnosed with something like MS you might find yourself at some kind of a crossroad where you're going to think, okay, I'm just, this is just how it is and I'm going to let this 
rule over me or try to control it. Control is such a weird word when it comes to um, something like MS, but try to have take control of my life as much as I possibly can. Did you find yourself at that particular crossroad at some point? Yeah, definitely. I I found myself at different points trying to uh, uh, deal with MS differently. I got to a point uh, where I was just trying to contain it. Uh, Mm. I was thinking I sort of uh, connected physical activity with worsening my conditions. So I got to a stage where I was really minimizing my physical activity. Mm. So I'd lost control there, I think. I'd let MS completely control that part of my life. Uh, more recently, though, I've tried to take a more proactive approach, be more physically active, because all sort of all the literature, all the evidence out there points to physical activity being a good thing, uh, keeping you healthier and lessening the effects of the disability. Mm-hmm. You, you might still pick up disabilities, but at least, yeah, you've got a better baseline to fight against that. In 2017, when we moved to Sydney, um, I had been trying to get onto a more aggressive treatment for a couple of years. So I finally got onto that and I sort of decided that if I got there, I'd make some changes. So like I quit smoking completely uh, when I started that treatment. I started going to the gym again after that. I've tried different diets and that sort of thing, but I've, cause there's a few different diets that are out there that say that they've helped people with MS, but I've not found that I can stick to them, I guess, mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, yeah, there's, there, you've got to, you've got to keep like fighting against it, I think, if you, because you're going to have MS for a long time, people sort of, you can't forget that, I guess, it's not a disease that actually, like getting into the brass tacks here, it doesn't shorten lifespans, mm. you live with MS as long as a typical person would, would live, mm-hmm. so you've got to sort of decide that, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to work how am I going to fix this? How am I going to live with this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're a part of the, the MS support group that made that video, mm. right? Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, what did it mean for you to find that community? And how has being a part of a community like that helped you? So it, it helped a lot to talk to someone who's been through MS and who's been the guy that I speak to or I spoke to that I was connected to. Um he had the same sort of disability progression that I had. So it was really good to hear from him, to, to hear that he's still living a pretty full life. Like he's got, a, he's got a family, two kids, and they're always busy. They're always very active people. It really definitely definitely helped to just hear about how, how that person um, combats or fights against his MS. And it's been, you know, it's been, yeah, it's been a good, good thing to be a part of. And I've chosen to, to volunteer my time as well now um, after... Our conversation today, I've got a call with my with somebody that I've I'm starting to be his peer supporter. I'm ha- you know more than happy to be involved that way. But yeah, it's been it's been it's been a good experience. Uh, uh, my peer support buddy, his name's Matt, and we've we've gotten a lot closer to, over the last eighteen months. I guess we've been talking to each other. It's been a, it's been a really good experience, and it's something you can't uh, you can't substitute or from. You know, speaking to people with that same experience that you're going through, it's um, so beneficial uh, and it really teaches you a lot about how you can go about doing things. How did you find out that such a group existed? So MS Australia is actually very active for whatever reason. We've got about, I think, 20,000 people in Australia who have MS. 
but MS Australia is very well funded, uh, or well, I don't know how well funded they are, but they're very active anyway. <laughs> so um, when I first moved here, I found them online. That's I think ms.org.au, and I wanted information about um, about neurologists, about who I could talk to, because I had no idea who who would be a good idea, who would be a good person to talk to. So that was my first interaction with them. Later on, I um, needed help um, with disability services, uh, support services. Uh, in Australia, we have a system here called the NDIS that you sort of have to connect to them. It's a government entity, government program that provides funding to people with disabilities. So they have heaps of information uh, on how to get yourself set up and um, they've got support workers essentially that will help guide you through that process. So that's that was the next time I went to them. I've seen a urologist, I guess, through them. I've seen an occupational therapist. I've seen a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. And this was just another service that they recommended wow. that I try out. Yeah, it's amazing. Like you, you've, you've even got things like temporary stays. Like you can go and stay at their facilities for a couple days or whatever. If, your support, your your uh, carers want to mm -hmm. go on holiday or something like that. They'll yeah, you can stay there for a couple nights. That's and, amazing. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's an amazing, amazing place. It yeah. really is. Yeah, really amazing group of people. What's the treatment process like mm. for MS? So the treatments are just as uh, varied, I suppose, as the symptoms can be. Mm. There's there's. I sort of lump them into three different generations. You've got your sort of injectables. Mm -hmm. um, so that was sort of the first generation. You take, you literally inject yourself. You take shots mm -hmm. every day or every other day. Um, and those um, had a bit of, had like a 30% success rate at preventing disease progression. So with MS, you're not trying to cure the disease because we don't have a cure for MS. Uh, you're trying to modify it's called there literally the the term is disease modifying therapy mm -hmm. so it's trying to change the course of of the disease progression uh or halt you know ideally halt uh, so it doesn't get worse exactly so you, you that's it yeah mm -hmm. so the second generation were um the medication were um oral uh, sort of yeah. pills pretty straightforward you take a pill every day or every other day or whatever and then there's another generation, the newest uh, sort of tool we've got are um, infusions. So infusions are what I'm actually currently taking. Uh, it's a drug called Limtrada is the trade name and Alentuzumab is the, is the drug itself. Um, it used to be used in leukemia or it still is used for mm. treating leukemia. What it does is it goes in and literally wipes out uh, uh, part of your immune system huh. and it it lets your body regenerate that without um, the sort of the flaws, the faulty bits. That's the idea anyway. So that has a, I think a 75 or 80% success rate at pre preventing disease progression. Uh, there's a couple, uh, d couple medications now, a couple on the, on the market anyway. And then there's a, the last or sort of the, um, the most uh, aggressive treatment, which isn't, still widely used is called HSCT, which is a combination of chemotherapy and stem cell treatment. It's a lot more aggressive, I suppose, and the recovery process is a little longer. 
like it's more chemo for one uh, mm. it completely wipes out your immune system then they inject your stem cells in some fashion or the other uh, but yeah there's there's things coming along the one thing we haven't really had progress on is reversal of symptoms mm. yeah and i assume there are researchers and doctors who are yeah. obviously working on those there, things there are absolutely I, i'm always surprised by, by how much attention ms gets in that that sense there there's mm. a lot of a lot of research happening my involvement with those is quite minimal i i have a couple fundraising efforts one is through ms.org uh, through that video that you mm-hmm. you've seen and then we're also doing a a, a walk uh, in april in um in sydney uh, mm-hmm. so through that last year we raised about ten thousand dollars just my wow. on my team yeah yeah it was oh really that's good. amazing yeah yeah the, the whole i think the walk in sydney raised two or three hundred thousand dollars and it was all it, it went to supports uh, services for people with MS and also uh, research. research. Yeah. Um, so you're doing that walk again? Yeah, we're doing year. it again this year. It, it was so much fun. We, we we had about, I think, 30 people on our team. Nice. Uh, and yeah, we had people donating from all over the world. Uh, my cousin from California happened to be here at the time and she walked with us. And uh, yeah, it was just a beautiful day out uh, down by the harbor here in Sydney. Nice. Uh, and yeah, we're going to do it again in, in April. Um, I think we're up to about two and a half grand, three thousand now fundraiser fundraising already. What's your goal? Mine, I've set it at ten thousand again. Okay. So we're we're about a month and a half away now. We'll we'll hopefully start to ramp that up. And if anyone wants to contribute to your fundraising efforts, how can they find the information? For so that? Uh, it's on my Facebook page. I might tweet it out. I don't know how active Maybe you can send it to me. I might send we'll, it to you. Yeah. We can post it on the show notes. Show and, notes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's, it's anyway, if you look up the MS walk and fun in run Sydney. in Sydney okay. uh, and our team is called still smiling. So that's a play on, uh, on words. The, the coding of your nerves are called myelin. Uh-huh. So we've still uh, smiling. Yes. All right. Yeah. We're, uh, we're trying to put t-shirts together as well. One of my, my friends, uh, Tanya, she's, uh, a bit of an artist, I guess. So she's she's putting together a T-shirt for us with uh, smiley faces and nice. different sort of sorts of things. What do you want people to know about MS or or people with MS? So that's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, people with MS are super resilient, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, there's a perception, I think, that we're um, unable to do certain things. Like I know people with MS have a more difficult time. In the, in the job place, like we, we go through a big, most most people with MS have to have make that decision of whether they're going to tell people they have, their employers if they have MS or not. Mm. So that's always a difficult conversation to have. But I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's the big thing. We're really a resilient bunch. Um, people with MS deal with a lot on a daily basis that people can't, wouldn't really, most people would struggle with, I think. Yeah, we're capable of a lot, and uh, we're all fighters. That's that's probably what I what I want people to know. And you have a job, and you work, and I do. Yeah, I yeah. do. I, uh, I I think it's it's one of the for me. It's been a very important thing to keep working, even sure. though I'm only I'm only doing three days a week now. Uh, but that fits better with my lifestyle. Yeah, I, I work, and uh, it keeps my brain active as well, which is important because. MS can impact your cognitive function as well as your physical abilities. Yeah, it's it's crucial, and I've I've gotten a lot of support there at work. 
for me, it's impossible to, to hide the fact that I have some sort of disability, sure. but they were, they were all donators to my, to my walk last year. And yeah, like I said, very supportive people for sure. And, and what I, do you do? What, what is your job? Sure. I, I work for a beer company. I, I work in sales support. Uh, it's pretty boring stuff, but it uh, basically keeps our sales staff out uh, selling beer. You know, I help make their job a little bit easier. Okay. That's, that's the plan. Beer is a very Assyrian thing. Apparently. Assyrian yeah, yeah, we, we did invent beer, I guess. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, uh, keeping the tradition going. There I you guess. go. Yeah. What are some of your other interests and some of the things that you like to do in your free time? Well, I, I'm, I've always been into sports. I, I used to play a lot more sports than I do now. Now sure. I tend to, to watch and, I love, and listen to a lot of podcasts about sports. When, when it comes to podcasts, I, I do tend to listen to a lot of sports like basketball and, and football and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I tend to enjoy. watch a lot of TV, I guess, nowadays. like to cook. That's, that was a big passion of mine. Uh, it's not as much anymore because, again, cooking is difficult in a wheelchair, uh, I find anyway. So I tend to eat more, which is all good. I like to... I like not to a just, bad thing. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> not a bad thing. Um, so that, yeah, that's that's me, I guess. Uh, food and sports and yeah. socializing, seeing friends as much as possible, like because uh, you can isolate yourself when you have MS. Sure. I think you, it's very easy to say no. You know, it's 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 going to be tough. You know, for me. So uh, it's always you always have to push yourself. I think to stay out there because as soon as you tell people no once, and then you tell people no a second time, they're not going to call you anymore. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's just how people are. You know. Um, not to say people have cut me off or whatever, sure. but I think, you know, you got to be mindful of that, you know. People start thinking, oh, I don't want to bother Mark, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's going through enough or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, not what I want people to think, I guess. Yeah. You talked about being a fighter and being resilient. What keeps you going um, every morning when you wake up? For one, it's, it's my family my and friends, and, and the other is just... I get, there's more I want to do in, in my life, you know. It's not just because I have MS. I'll I'm I'm gonna stop. One thing for sure that's that's that has reduced is like I used to travel a lot more and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So now my goal is to see more of Australia. And I think there's always the hope of uh, of getting a little bit better, if not fully recovering, at least having a bit of an improvement in my symptoms. So um, yeah, that keeps me going for sure. 100%. Yeah, and also nowadays it's being an advocate, I guess, for people with disabilities, people with MS. I think I'm well positioned f- to to get the word out and yeah, raise awareness, try to get uh, more funding and uh, be there as a support a supporter for people who get diagnosed with MS. I think we need to people with the disease need to help the next generation of people with MS. Absolutely. I can see how that would be so, uh, that would be a difficult part, just not knowing what to do, feeling alone because the people maybe in your immediate group, you know, your family, your friends, none of them are going through these things. And so being able to reach out and find people who are, and I like what you said that, you know, your lifespan is the same as anybody else. And so... You want to make sure you continue to live a full life as much as possible. And yeah. even when you, when you talk to the experts, when you first get diagnosed, your neurologist might give you three different drug options, and you're meant to go home and decide. 
based on what information <laughs> sure. god only knows like yeah it's not easy you know because we don't you don't know anything about ms when it first when you yeah. first get diagnosed even now like i don't not not just because i don't know it but the science isn't that defined mm-hmm. about how the disease progresses and why and things like that so there's always dark spots with ms of course um well mark thank you so much for talking to me about your life and giving us more insight about ms and i think it's not something that people talk about and one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you is because i think it would be helpful for people to know more knowledge is power but also to be able to know how to help and um what somebody with MS would want someone else to to think of them and their life. And I I appreciate you so much talking about that. Um, So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for reaching out. It's, it's a, it's always good. I think uh, to get our stories out there. Hi again. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. It was so nice to be back with you. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and review us wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear from you. Whether you're just dropping in to say hi or you have someone to suggest for a future episode, head to www.assyrianpodcast.com to find the different ways to connect with us. You can also find us on all social media platforms. Thanks again and see you next Tuesday.